Have you ever wondered what the role of the church is in our day and age? Most people have their own ideas about what the role of the church is based on their agendas, based on what they think the church should be focused on, and what the church should actively be doing. For instance, some people have a very political mind, and they think that government policy is really the way that the church should try to influence the changes in our world, and they want the church to be a beacon of national morality, and they want to highlight issues and candidates and policy that they believe that if the church can just rally together and get behind and get the right people elected to the right places, then the world will be a much better place. Other people think that the church is a social justice vehicle that organizes and assembles people to try to stamp out issues like poverty, hunger, physical needs, more recently things like racial inequality, social justice issues, and they think that if the church would just be more active in their communities that the world would be a better place and everyone's lives would be better and then the church would be correctly on mission. There are a lot of other ideas about what people think the church should be about. But we should go to the Bible as our source for the church's mission and purpose to make sure we correctly understand the role of the church. The church was made for the end times. Think about this. The church was made for the end times. When Peter gets up and announces after the falling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, he begins off by quoting Joel's prophecy and he says, listen, in the last days, these are the things that are going to happen. The church was made for this. And when the church was launched, Peter declared that this time had really begun. So we were made for the times that we live in. But what is our role in the end times? My hope today is to clear up by examining scripture what the role of the church is and how we can rightly position ourselves to glorify God by focusing on what matters most to God. And I want to start off just by making a blanket statement here that the role of the church is to connect people to Christ and gospel-centered community. That is the role of the church in a nutshell. Go with me over to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to hit a lot of text today, a lot of scriptures. Keep up with me if you can. You can always follow along on version as well um, and just take some notes and maybe read those things later. But we are going to handle a lot of text today. Matthew 28. Jesus, about to ascend into heaven, gives his followers this great commission that still rings true to those of us who are following Jesus today. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says to go into all the world and to make disciples. A disciple is someone who is fully devoted to following Jesus by placing their faith in his substitutionary atoning death on the cross as satisfactory payment for my sin and for your sin that opened the door for reconciliation into right standing with God. A disciple is someone who has a personal, growing, grateful, thankful relationship with Jesus and someone who is connected to other believers who are growing in this journey as well. And they're connected with other believers for the purpose of fellowship, for the purpose of encouragement, for the purpose of worship, and for the purpose of prayer. Let's look at some of the things that the early church exhibited in Acts chapter 2, 
verse 42 through 47. Scripture says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see the early church. They were focused on making sure that they were staying close to the teaching of Scripture, that they were staying close to relationship with one another because they needed one another for encouragement and to worship and to take care of each other. We see them even going to the extremes of being willing to sell anything that they had so that everyone could be taken care of concerning this fellowship, this thing that we call church. It would have been very foreign to them to have this idea of just this gathering where we assemble in a large building and we have a service, we sing a few songs, someone gives announcements, we receive an offering, someone gets up and talks for, I don't know, 30, 40, depending on who it is, I don't know, it might be a little longer than that. And they talk and, and, and teach scripture and then everyone dismisses and no one has any fellowship, contact, relationship or anything else throughout the week. You see, that's very much an Americanized idea of this consumer-driven culture that we live in that is just coming to either check the box that I showed up and came to church, or that's just coming because I hope to get a little pick-me-up for the week, and I need kind of a shot in the arm, I need a little boost, a little, a, a little encouragement, and, and that'll help get me through my week or my challenges or whatever the case may be. That idea was very foreign as we can read very clearly in the book of Acts chapter 2, as well as the purpose that Jesus said that his disciples would be about. They would be on mission. They would be driven by a passion. They would be driven by a love and care for one another and a concern for those that have not yet known Christ. They would have a hunger and a passion to disciple and to grow deeper in their faith and in their knowledge of Christ more and more and in this relationship that's now been bought and paid for and this door that's been opened for them to now be reconnected and reconciled to God. They would have been exploring that, diving into that, not by themselves, but together and celebrating these things in community, remembering what Jesus did through them, uh, for them through, through receiving the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. They would have done this through, through, through teaching and sharing, and then they would have been on mission sharing this message of hope and forgiveness and reconciliation where you can have peace with God, where you can be forgiven, and it's not by your works, but it's by faith in what Christ has done on the cross. This was their passion. This was their mission. This consumed their lives. Nothing else mattered at this point. This was how they operated to encourage each one, one another, to spur one another on to good works, to pray together to worship together, not just this pit stop in my week where I come and stop doing all of the normal things I do and I do this one thing for God. That would have been very foreign to them. Out of our great love and thankfulness for Christ comes the fruit of love for one another and it comes a heart of compassion to serve others with the love of God that we have been shown. You and I have been shown a lot of grace, a lot of mercy, and we freely have received that. We love receiving that because it's good news for us, but there's a responsibility attached to being a free receiver. The Bible says that freely you've received, so now freely give. You see, now 
it's not just for us and we're an ends to the means. No, it doesn't stop with us. It actually starts when we receive that message of the gospel and we are converted and we are now made new and now the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of us and we have been made alive together with Christ and now we're on mission. Now we're a part of the family of God. Now we're a son or daughter of God and now there's something we are to be about and that is to help connect people to Christ and stay connected and keep connected to one another in Christ-centered community. Go over to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus helped us to see the value of people who understood what the kingdom of God was all about. And he was very clear about this in Matthew 25 and verse 31 through telling this parable. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and we welcomed you, or naked, and clothed you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? Verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will turn to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, that heart to be able to serve in such a way, that heart of compassion to care, that heart of compassion to connect people to that love of God and be that extension, that representative of Christ in the world comes out of a relationship that is rooted and grounded and founded in the understanding and the receiving of the transformational gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not what we're trying to do to earn God's favor. No, that's works. That's man's path to try to earn brownie points with God and get God to like us and get on God's good side. And that doesn't work. The Bible rails against that type of pursuit because it's not by works lest we can boast saying, oh, look at how much I fed you. Look at how much I clothed you. Look at how good I was to you. As a matter of fact, those who were righteous, they weren't even aware that they were doing it. They said, when did we see you in this situation, Lord, and we did this to you? He said, as much as you've done it to the least of these, there's something that came out of their heart that they were doing that was a part of their life, that they were even caught off guard that, wow, I was actually ministering to the Lord. I was actually serving Him by serving other people. I was showing them the love and the compassion of the Father and showing them the heart of God. What am I doing when I do that? I'm helping to build a bridge and connect them to experience the love of God 
something that has transformed me. I freely received, so now I'm freely giving, and I'm living on mission, and I'm living for something greater than myself. I'm living for something more than just what I can attain and how high up the ladder I can think I can climb. Because God has taken away the ladder. God has made us one in Christ. There's one Spirit. There's one Lord. And He's trying to help us to see that it's not about us trying to outdo one another, out-spiritual one another. It's actually about us representing Christ, glorifying God through every breath that we have been gracefully and thankfully given. We are called to maintain a spirit of unity in Christ with other believers who are growing and continually being equipped to do the work of the ministry, and we will share the gospel to those who are lost, and we will build up and strengthen what we call the church. That's our purpose, connecting to Christ ourselves, connecting others to Christ through doing the work of an evangelist, as Paul instructs Timothy, through being someone who is a carrier of light, a representative of Christ, who is sharing the gospel out of our love for people and serving them with that love and caring for them and showing them the love of Christ and then caring for the family of God, making sure that we are on mission of maintaining a spirit of unity, sharpening one another, helping one another to grow, doing life together, where this is not something that we just compartmentalize for an hour or two once a week, but yet it's something that has wrapped up and completely changed our identity. It's something that we're now identifying with Christ, and the whole pursuit of my life is not using Christianity any longer as a vehicle to just try to be a better person and enhance my experience on this earth, but rather I'm living in light of eternity because I'm surrounded by people who are helping me to stay focused on what matters and what doesn't. And that's what the church is supposed to do for one another, to build up, to edify. Because there's doctrines that want to toss us to and fro. There's ideas in the world that want to toss us to and fro. Buy into this idea. Buy into this idea. Come and be a part of this. Come and cheer this cause on. And come rally around this cause and, and be a part of this or be a part of this because this matters. And we get tossed back and forth and we don't know what really matters. But when we stay focused on the purpose of the church and what Jesus has called us to, it helps us to be anchored, to be steady, to stay on mission, and to not be distracted. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at this a little bit more in detail. The Apostle Paul helps us to see this a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, we're going to read through verse 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus here, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. This is what the church is about. What I'm trying to help you to see today is through Scripture what the role of the church has been, what the role of the church currently is in our day and age with the challenges we're facing in our world and what the role of the church is always going to be till we are reunited with our uh, Lord and our Savior when He comes back for His bride, the church. This is what we're all about. We connect people to Christ who are growing and loving God, loving people and serving the world with the love of God. We serve them with the love of God so that they will be recipients of that love. And as they receive that love, then they too can be transformed and can freely receive. And then what do they do? They love what God loves. They love people. And then they begin to serve the world with the love of God. And with that in mind, I want you to hear me today that the church is not going to fix the world's problems. However, the church connects people to Jesus, the one who fixes the real problem. A lot of us think that it is our duty and our role to fix this world's problems. We can't do it, folks. We can't fix this world's problems. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8 says that creation is groaning. It is longing for redemption, and we are longing for redemption. It says even our bodies, we're groaning. It's like the pangs of childbirth. It's like there's something good that's coming, but it's painful to get there. And I know that it's coming. I'm going to be excited when it is here. But right now I'm in the middle of those pangs and I'm longing to see this thing come to an end so that I can enjoy and be with the one who has saved me. And it's like that pain. It, it, it's almost there, but it's, but it's not yet. But I know it's there and I know I have it, but I haven't yet acquired all of it yet. It's like it's, it's there, and, and I have it, but oh, it's so close, and creation is groaning. We see that in the world. We see that in humanity. We see that in the news. And so many of us think that it's our duty to go out and to try to fix the world's problems, but I think the problem is that we have called the wrong thing the problem. We're trying to fix actions. We're trying to fix behaviors. We're trying to modify things in the world to enhance our experiences so everyone can get along, so we can just work harder to be nice to each other, so we can all be honest and fair, so we can all just ha have this wonderful uh, thought process that we unify under, and everyone wants to work towards that end goal. Politicians make promises, world leaders, people who have influence, people who are in the public eye, celebrities, they make these promises and, and stand for different things to try to bring all all sorts of people together and it never really works does it this is not a new problem because the root problem is sin that's the problem the problem of this world is sin why do men hate one another because of their skin color sin that's why that's why 
sin? Why do people abuse one another and unleash anger on one another? Why do, why do people do that? Why do men kill one another? Why? Sin. That's why. Sin. And when we try to bear the burden of fixing the world's problems, we're looking to ourselves as the answer. If we look to a political figure who makes promises and who wants to unify and bring everyone together, and we're all just going to be happy if we can all just agree with this one person, then we look to that person for our hope. And we put our hope in that person. If we could all just do more good, if we could all just work harder to be nicer to each other, learn to accept this or accept that. And folks, can I tell you, it's never going to happen. And it isn't the goal for that to happen because God isn't putting the hope for the future in humanity's hands. Romans chapter 12. Go over there real quick. Romans chapter 12. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes this, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. It's very clear here. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us to see, listen, we have a role as the body of Christ. We have a role as Christians and how we are to navigate this world. He gives explicit instructions to a follower of Christ because here's the deal. You can't do Romans chapter 12 without Christ living in your life. You can't. You can try and you will fail. You can't genuinely love someone who has done you wrong unless you have been transformed by the power of Christ and you have been a recipient of his grace because you have a different perspective than those who have not received or experienced his grace. You have a different experience. You have a different mindset because you know you just got something you didn't deserve. You know you didn't earn it. You know you didn't qualify yourself for it. You know it was by grace alone that you were saved and you stand in that confidence. So when someone does you wrong, when someone offends you and you want to retaliate, you remember the gospel. And when you remember the grace by which you were saved, it transforms your response. It changes your actions and your reactions it changes your attitudes because now you're not thinking about vengeance you're actually thinking about what you freely received and how you are called to freely give the apostle paul says to do your best to live peaceably with all men and i think that if there's a message that we need to hear i think it is that in our day and age i think we're a little bit too trigger happy on social media where we want to make sure that 
we're heard with this opinion or that opinion, and we want everyone to see how right we are. And I think that it's arrogance and foolishness on the part of the church often because we're missing love, we're missing staying on mission, we're, stay, we're, we're missing staying in our lane and focused, and we're getting tossed to and fro by everything that wants to pull our attention or our heart or our emotions this way or that because we need to remind ourselves that the same hope that we need for our eternal salvation and security is the same hope that all men need, both present and both future. And that is the hope that only comes through being transformed by the power of God through receiving this message of reconciliation, through receiving this message of the gospel, through receiving the hope that we have that only comes from Christ alone. And God isn't putting the hope for this world in humanity's hands. He's not going, you guys figure this out, good luck. Try really hard to be nice to each other. Try to figure it all out. People have been trying to do this for centuries, and it hasn't worked. We're facing the same problems we've always faced. Why? Because men's hearts are wicked. Bad things happen. Bad things happen. Things, horrible, tragic things happen. The church's response needs to be Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. That's the church's response. Because guess what? If your heart is transformed by Jesus, it not only changes your eternal position, but it also changes your attitude towards others. It also changes the way you love. It also changes the way you serve. It also changes the way that you think as we grow in Christ-likeness, as we grow in learning who God is. We need to understand the church connects people to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who fixes the real problem, and that is the role of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. It is okay to share your thoughts and feelings about wrongs in the world, and, and it is okay to stand up for things that are right, but the absolute best thing you can do is to live in light of eternity and share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the best thing. And we say yes to greater things. It's one of our core values at Word of Grace. We say yes to greater things because we are called to live in light of eternity. So there are things that may be good. It may seem good to us. There's a way that seems wise to us. It seems good. And it seems like there are many people that find this path. But, but, but then there's a better way. And few find that way because it's easier to jump in with the majority. It's easier to share offense. It's easier to jump in with the mindset of the world and the ebb and flow of living reactionary and out of anger and fear and, and, and all of this pent-up frustration. It's easier to respond that way. Many people find that path. That is the way of the world. But there is a path that leads to life and peace. There is a path that gives me hope in the middle of persecution, in the middle of challenges. It's narrow, and a few people find it, and I pray that you have found it, or perhaps today the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to help you find it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's turn over there real quick and read another scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's read verse 16 through 21 says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one after the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, folks, in our day and age, we have been given this uh, same responsibility that the church back then was given. Uh, the path hasn't changed. The purpose hasn't changed. The purpose of the church has not all of a sudden altered. And now it's time for us to get radically distracted. But no, let's stay focused on what we're called to do and what our role is because we can become distracted with doing good works and we can forget what really matters. We can do that because the world is is wanting to bring us into these different thought patterns. Look over in the book of Revelation as we learn how to navigate these end times and find blessing in the encouragement that John gave and the prophetic words that John gave to the seven churches of Asia. Let's look at what he says to a couple of those churches here and may it cause us to evaluate our mindset, our heart's focus, and our position as the body of Christ. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Skip over to verse 18 to the church of Thyatira. To the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like flame and fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I'll throw her onto a sickbed And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. This is is tough stuff that we're reading here because both of these churches were doing good. And there's five other churches that we're going to talk about later in this series. But I wanted to highlight these two because the prophetic message to these churches is that they were doing good things, but they were missing something more important. And it actually caused the Lord to say something very startling. I have this against you. I mean, it's not, I'm just upset with you. I I fix this. You know, you guys need to work on this. No, he uses strong language. And that language is, I have this against you. So the good that they were doing, it, it didn't offset the distractions that were 
being crept in. It was, he's like, no, this is not okay. Repent of this. Turn from this. Have godly sorrow over this. Recognize you're, you're missing the mark with your purpose. You've got off base. It's like you're, you, 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 you're doing good over here, and that's good, but you're being distracted from the greater things because you've allowed these things to happen. The more important things, the greater things, the eternal things. The church in Ephesus did good works and abhorred evil. The church in Thyatira was strong in faith and service and patience. But they were both distracted from the purpose because they both got caught up in doing what they thought was good. And they missed what crept in because they got wrapped up in their agenda. And in these days, we find ourselves living in the COVID-19 racial divisions, political divisions, and unfortunately even church divisions and can I tell you today that we can get so distracted with the affairs of this world that we may be misled to think we're doing good and yet we're neglecting saying yes to greater things that we're called to be focused on. I'm not suggesting we don't get involved with good things. He didn't say stop doing those good things. He said these are good. Just don't allow those good things to keep you distracted from your main focus and your main purpose. You see, it's good to care for our fellow man. It's, it's good to, to spread the, the, the love, and it's good to want to see things change in our world. But we need to remember that Jesus chastised the church who were just trying to focus on making the world a better place in their own strength and making the world a better place their goal, and they stopped focusing on eternal things. They stopped missing the more important things, the eternal things. L look at what they missed. They missed some big ones. Ephesus, what did they miss? Loving God. They missed loving God. That's huge. We think we're doing things sometimes in the name of God, and we think that's the same as loving God. It would be the equivalent of me as a pastor thinking that me preparing a sermon to share with you would be the equivalent of my time in Scripture to grow as a disciple of Christ. That would be a great, great delusion if I think that that's adequate for me. No, I need a relationship with Jesus just like everybody else outside of sermon preparation. I could be teaching the Word of God, doing good things, and forgetting to love God. You and I could be caught up in social affairs. We could be caught up in good events and good things and things that we think are important and we can get distracted by these things and, and God's like, hey, you've forgotten your first love. What am I supposed to do about it? Repent. He said, that's what you're supposed to do about it. And return. Remember the gospel because the gospel is what stirs my heart for the love of God and reminds me of how great a price that I was purchased with, the precious blood of Jesus, that I'm marked with the mark of the Lamb, that, 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 that I'm His and, and, and that I'm a child of God crying out, Abba, Father, and that I'm anchored in Christ and I'm resting in Christ and, and I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm supposed to be focused on Him and about the Father's business. I'm supposed to be about being that representative of Christ in the earth. That's right. I got tossed to and fro there for a minute. That's why we need the five-fold ministry to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's why we need the body of Christ, every part doing its share and edifying itself in love so that we're not being tossed around. What about the other church, the church in Thyatira? What happened there? 
They were doing good works. They were loving. They were patient. But they were tolerating Jezebel, this seductress, this what the, what the book of Revelation calls this whore of Babylon, this seductress that's luring the church in. Jezebel's not trying to lure the world in. Jezebel's trying to lure the church in. Jezebel's trying to get the church off base and the church off mission. Well, how can she do that? How can she get them to come in to, to, her, to her room? How can she get them to come lie with her and, 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 to, and to want to be with her? Because if we saw someone that we obviously saw was Jezebel, and she's like, hey, come with me for a good time, we'd be like, yeah, no thanks. You got, the, you got a bad name. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. But they were doing it. They allowed sexual immorality of Jezebel to creep in. How did that happen? It came through compromise, and it came through Jezebel offering something that they thought that they needed. Come get involved with me. Come get involved with Babylon and the Babylon system. Come get involved with, with, with aligning your trust over here, and it's a little compromise here. It's a little compromise there. And he said, but you guys over here, you're still loving. You're still patient, but you're tolerating Jezebel. You've got sucked in. You're You've been deceived. You've, you've been seduced. You thought there was something better out there than what God had given you. And you thought that you could do both. You thought you could keep your good works and have a good time with Jezebel. And God's saying, no, your first love, return. No, repent. I, I gave her time to repent. I, I, I gave you guys time to repent. There's still time. That's what John is writing on, uh, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, as directed by Christ. He's saying, I'm giving you time. I, I don't want you to be overcome by her. You're marked with the Lamb. You see, I'm not suggesting that we, we just completely cut ourselves off from what may be happening to our fellow man or what's happening in the world today. What I'm suggesting and what I'm I'm not suggesting <laughs> what I'm preaching and proclaiming according to Scripture is that we need to stay on task. We need to stay grounded and rooted in purpose because the evil happening in our world right now, these things are going to die down eventually and something else will take its place. What is our response going to be then? Are we going to be tossed to and fro? Are we going to get distracted? Are we going to get off target? I'm, I'm not saying that the things happening in our world are, are right. I'm not saying that we, 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 we're uh, trying to uh, approve of things or disapprove of things. What, what I am saying is that sin is at the base. Sin is at the core of trying to distract us and draw us away from sharing the gospel. And I want to remind us that this world is temporary and we have an urgent call to share the gospel. You're like, Pastor, this is end time sermon. Yeah, you bet you it is. Because Jesus fixes the sin problem. He forgives sin and restores us into right relationship with God. And then he gives us the church. The church was made for the end times. We're built for this. This should not take us off guard. We should not cave to the pressure of someone wanting to shame us or pressure us into, into getting off focus and off purpose because a gathering of believers 
the church doing life together in gospel-centered community full of love and compassion for one another and for others, being a people of prayer, growing and knowing God more. The Bible says we need this. Hebrews 10 and 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day, the great and terrible day of the Lord. The day, capital D, day. As we see the return of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is drawing near where God will judge sin. And it is so vitally important that we stay connected in Christ-centered community as His church. It is so important that we are confident in our understanding of the gospel and we're able and equipped to articulate and share the gospel with those who are lost. It is so important that we remind ourselves and have a deeper sense of the gospel to continually grow in thankfulness and a deeper understanding of dependence on Christ alone as the hope for our salvation. It is so important that we live in light of eternity instead of approaching the end times with fear and anxiety, especially when surrounded by people in situations we cannot control. We can't control people, nor should we try. What can we do? We can pray, we can be a light, we can share Christ, and we can do what Ephesians says in Ephesians chapter 6, stand. That's our role. That's our purpose in the end times. It has been since the church's inception and it will be till Jesus Christ comes back. Church, I want to encourage you. Don't get discouraged. Don't get distracted. Do not let your heart be troubled. You have the answer that the world needs. And that answer is Jesus Christ. I want us to stay focused in our role as the church, as the body. There's so many things happening that break the heart of God, and they should break our hearts, and we pray, and we love, but the best thing we can give people is Jesus. The best thing you could receive today is Jesus. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is drawing you to a place of repentance, to a place of maybe having your eyes open for the very first time to see, oh, I've, I've been seduced. I've been off base. I, I, I thought I trusted and knew him, but, but maybe today is the day of your salvation and the eyes of your understanding have been opened and you're seeing your need for a Savior. Cry out to him as many as call on the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. Call out, Jesus, I need you. Call out, confess, I need you as my Lord and Savior. I admit I, 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 I have a need here. I recognize my own sin problem. I need that grace that pastor was talking about, that your word talks about. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest you should boast. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can just be, uh, uh, some, something that you accept by just doing this and doing that and following the rules and checking all the boxes and getting it all just right. No, it's, it's a faith thing where you trust. And if you have trusted in Christ, what's your role? to do what he's called us to do. Go into all the world, make disciples. To be the city set on the hill, to be the light in the darkness, to be the salt and light, to be loving to other people, to be living peaceably with all men, to preserving unity in the church, to making sure that you're helping and encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ, not arguing with them on social media, 
That is a weak position to take, to try to slander a brother or sister in Christ. Live peaceably, even with those you may disagree with. Navigate these challenging times by staying anchored in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Navigate your relationships and the tensions. And if you get persecuted because of your stance for Christ, then it's for the glory of God. Don't do it in arrogance. Don't do it in pride. Keep loving. Keep being patient. Keep remembering your first love. Abhor what is evil. Don't tolerate Jezebel's seductions and be lured away into trusting in man for protection from the wrath of man. Instead, be marked with the Lamb. Protection from the wrath of God who takes away the sins, who absorbed the wrath of God for us, becoming sin for us. So Jesus, we thank you for doing what we could not do. We thank you for being the hope for the hopeless. Help us to rest in you. Help us to be steady. Help us to be bold in declaring the message of Jesus and showing the fruit of a life filled with the Spirit. Help us to show the fruit of a life being transformed Help our minds to be renewed by your word where we think differently, where we engage differently, where we treat others differently because of what you've done in our heart and what you're doing in renewing our bad patterns of thinking, helping us to think more in line with your truth so that our actions and so that our thoughts and our heart's intent can line up and honor and glorify you both in word and deed so that people will know that we are yours by our love the type of love that you give, real love, life-transforming love, forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace that passes our understanding, that guards our heart and mind in Christ. We thank you for doing what only you can do today in hearts and lives in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. A word of grace, we counted an honor and a privilege to be able to receive these elements together of the Lord's Supper. And if you're online today watching from home or where, wherever you may be, I want you to be able to receive this with your family or friends or perhaps you're at a Connect site, wherever you may be, and just uh, grab the elements if you prefer to use grape juice or, or wine or what you have in your home or bread or or crackers, um, just it doesn't necessarily matter those elements as much as how you view those elements and how you communicate the significance of what those elements are to help those who are in your home, whether it may be children, whether it may be um, some friends over or family or maybe your spouse or a friend, that you take these things with a, a great weight, that we receive this with a heart of gratefulness and understanding that this is more than just a, a cup of juice and, and a cracker. Uh, it's not that that we are receiving because we believe that as we receive the Lord's Supper, that we are celebrating and remembering this precious sacrifice of what Christ did for us on the cross and that in this receiving of the Lord's Supper that we're able to remember what Christ did for us and also commune with Christ by remembering what he did on the cross, by being thankful, by being driven to a place of 
gratefulness by being brought to a place of humility and thankfulness that we understand that as we receive these things, this reminds me of how when I have first come to Christ and I'm actually, I received Christ, he said, you have to be a part of and take my, my body and, and, and my blood. You, you, this is a part of receiving me. Well, I want to receive all of you, Lord, because I know that you paid the price and this helps to stir my heart in such a way that I understand the significance a little bit more today than perhaps I did yesterday. That I'm able to be brought to a place of deeper worship, deeper humility, deeper gratitude, a place of remembering the sacrifice of Christ. So I want us to get those elements in your home or wherever you may be. And let's receive this together. Lord, we thank you for this bread and we thank you for how, Lord, we know that you are our present help in a time of trouble, how you are, Lord, the hope for the hopeless and how you are the spotless lamb of God and how you took upon your body the punishment and the payment and the penalty that I earned and deserved by my sin, by my rebellion, but yet you graciously took the chastisement for that so that by your stripes that we could be healed and made whole. So thank you for stepping in to history and for redeeming us back to yourself, for, for purchasing us. We honor you today and we receive this bread with thankfulness, with humility, with worship in Jesus name amen would you receive the bread today the same way we received the cup that just like Jesus on the night that he was betrayed he took the cup he blessed it and he passed it to those who were in attendance and he let them know that this was his blood that was going to be spilled out for them and so Jesus we thank you for this cup that represents that precious blood of Jesus your blood, that we are marked with the Lamb, that we have your Spirit living on the inside of us, that you are here, that you are in our midst where two or three are gathered, that you are present, that you are our Savior, that you are our Lord, that you care about us right here, right now, in this moment, and that you are making intercession for us as our high priest once and for all by sprinkling your blood in the holy of holies its final payment so that we can be redeemed by your precious blood we thank you that we have a new and better covenant in you Jesus thank you for making us sons and daughters of God we receive this with humility with thankfulness with gratitude we honor you today in Jesus' name, amen. Would you receive the cup today? If you're at home, I just want to invite you to take a moment just to pause and to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you, to speak to your heart a deeper appreciation and thankfulness and awe and joy and delight in Christ. Thank you for what you've done, Lord, and what you're doing in and amongst us. We love you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we pray. Amen.